Hi there. This is Catherine. Thank you so much for turning into another episode of the Digital Marketing Victories podcast. Before we get into this month's episode, I just want to share with you the ways that you can support the podcast if you're finding the episodes helpful. You can send me a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash DMV podcast. Any and all level of donation would be very much appreciated. Help me offset the cost of producing the podcast. I'd also encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter so that you don't miss a future episode or any other news about the podcast. And to do that, you go to wostrategies.com slash newsletter. Okay, on with our episode. Welcome to the Digital Marketing Victories Podcast, a podcast about the realities of digital marketing. Listen in each month to learn about the tactics and strategies, soft skills, and technical requirements that go into digital marketing success. I'm Catherine Watsiai-Ong, owner of WO Strategies LLC, an organic traffic consultancy. And I'm Jim Keeney, owner of Federal Web Consulting and founder of DAP, the platform for the engagement economy. Welcome. Let's get into it and celebrate our victories. Hi there. This is Catherine Ong, one of the hosts of the Digital Marketing Victories podcast. And I'm really excited to tell you about today's interview. If you have ever been curious about how Reddit paid advertising or organic reach works on Reddit, then you won't get a better intro to that algorithm than by listening to this interview. Today's interview is with previous head of brand at Reddit, Joe Federer. And even more importantly, beyond Reddit, he pulls back the curtain around the other different social networks and how they work. Internet dork and author Joe Federer built his social media creative and strategy teams at Reddit, Energy BBDO, and Catch NPR. And he has a new book coming out called The Hidden Psychology of Social Networks, which comes out this fall with McGraw-Hill. I personally got a ton of insights from this interview, including how the different social networks bubble up content based on the context of each network, how the users on each social network interact uh, differently and manage their profiles differently, how ultimately as a brand, you might need a different content approach and brand voice on each platform. So without further ado, here's our interview with Joe Federer. All right. So today we've got Joe Federer, which I'm very excited to introduce. Joe, I used to borrow him for my team at Ketchum intermittently ages and ages ago. Go ahead, Joe, give us all an intro about you. I, I am afraid that I, I failed Catherine in being borrowed from that team because that's certainly like it is a, a skill set that I very much admire. Uh, my, my area of expertise is more in the social strategy, brand strategy side of, of kind of understanding how we build brands in this social media dominated world. Uh, I'm also an author. I've, I've just kind of left my role as Reddit's head of brand strategy to write my first book, which comes out in September. Very excited about it called The Hidden Psychology of Social Networks, and it's my dorky uh, musings on how the, the uh, structure of Freud's ego and superego have reemerged for us in the world of social media. Cool. Oh, and there's my dog, as in found Q. He's usually in my office, and he's very upset he's not in my office, but you're probably going to hear him anyway. Um, so, Joe, actually, did you get a start with digital marketing before you came to catch him, or was that your first moment? Ketchum was my first moment and it was a it was a fun time because there was so little kind of structure around how brands do social media generally, let alone within the kind of Ketchum organization itself. So it you know, I, I started actually within like the the new business team, but quickly kind of got got funneled around to a few different spots and ended up on Ketchum's kind of first uh, digital 
strategy team where we worked on on social stuff for a lot of the the Midwest clients that came in through the agency. Yeah, that's not surprising. I borrowed a lot of people that I thought had the gumption. Figured I'd train them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what led you to go from there to working at Reddit? Because this is the part of the story I don't know, and I'm personally very interested. Yeah. So, you know, Ketchum was a really interesting uh, kind of testing ground for me. I, I think a lot of uh, social media strategy folks and, and kind of social media specialists start in the world of ad agencies and starting in, in Ketchum and, and thinking about social media from the perspective of PR, which I think, you know, in general kind of prioritizes how do we earn reach as opposed to how do we kind of pay for a big platform and then try to maximize our engagement from there. Looking at how social media was kind of bubbling up naturally, what types of content were getting popular across the social media ecosystem, I just found that Reddit, you know, even though it has a, a particular demographic, it, it generally kind of gets painted as a very like young male dominated platform, which actually isn't so much the case, but regardless of the kind of particular demographic to the site the structure of it and the, the ability for users to be anonymous, to be organized around interests and passions rather than around their kind of curated friends feed enabled this kind of really interesting content discovery that I found so powerful in informing how we created content as brands throughout all of the more popular kind of social media channels for marketers, the Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter. I found that when we looked at what was really successful on Reddit, that type of content tended to perform really well across the kind of social media ecosystem. So that was where I, I really kind of started to get interested in Reddit as a platform and, and saw this kind of potential to it that was really to just totally uh, like uncapitalized on. Do you think so that still is the case that Reddit stuff performs well on the other channels for popular Reddit threads? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you see this, uh, this effect happen all the time where something hits the front page of Reddit and then it just kind of waterfalls throughout the social media ecosystem. It's not to say that it's the only type of content or the only place that really popular content bubbles up. Um, I think you, you see a lot of content kind of follow a similar trajectory in you know anonymous Twitter, anonymous Instagram, and then on the other side of, of kind of influencer content, which, which also tends to kind of make its way through the, the social ecosystem. But when it comes to ground level, just user created content, I don't think that there's a better hub to pay attention to than Reddit communities. I think that Reddit really plays a unique role in that sense. It's almost like, a, you know, a massive kind of ecosystem experiment in survival of the fittest, um, starting from the you know, the, the channels, sub-channels, sub-channels, sub-channel, and bubbling up. So when you worked at Reddit, was there anything that you did to facilitate that? Did you, you know, work with the Reddit crew to try and figure out how to analyze the content that was moving through the platform? Um, and how did that kind of influence your understanding of social, social networks? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and it's a great observation. I, I think, you know, so starting the brand strategy team at Reddit was a really interesting challenge because it was not a platform that most brands were kind of familiar with. And, and you're exactly right to say that it is an ecosystem of small individual communities, which kind of identify as subreddits, which then kind of bubble up content and trends to a broader kind of front page. And 
if you're a user and you land on Reddit for the first time, it's often kind of overwhelming because what you're looking at is not content from one particular community, but rather the top content from the, I think now they say it's like 130,000 plus monthly active communities on the platform. So there, there is a lot of education that happened in just kind of explaining the structure of Reddit to brands. Uh, but to your, to your question, yeah, absolutely. We found ways to kind of emulate that flow of content from these kind of often small and, and niche communities, which become these, these kind of bubbling kind of meme pools of, of people who are looking at the same content. They're having conversations together with each other. They're facilitating these shared experiences, which is, I think, I think a really unique differentiator of the Reddit platform. You have people who are looking at content that is agnostic of them and is, is rather prioritized around the community. So when we were looking for, particularly when, when brands wanted to drive engagement on the platform, you know, often, you know, a brand looks at, at a Reddit community and they say, oh, here's an example. You know, Hulu was coming out with um, The Handmaid's Tale. So they see, oh, there's this great literary audience that loves The Handmaid's Tale. How do we get them excited about this book or the, the show, rather, in a way that will also ignite a broader set of communities to become interested and to kind of spark that, that organic conversation? So we, we kind of developed what's what we call this layered approach to targeting, which emulated the way that content reaches the front page. So with Hulu, we knew literary audience loves The Handmaid's Tale. There's this great set of fiction writing communities on Reddit. So we took a prompt kind of from within the world of The Handmaid's Tale. I, I think we asked something like, you know, you've escaped from this uh, theocratic government in America and you've escaped to Canada's uh, little America. How do you rebuild your life? So we give Redditors this in these kind of handful of relatively small, but really engaged communities, this ability to kind of insert themselves into the world to tell stories that are interesting for not just them to write, but for other Redditors to read. And then after we've built up this great engaging thread that's filled with user-generated stories, we broaden targeting out to the influence, to the uh, communities that we want to influence. So in that way, we're kind of taking an ad through the same process that a post does in terms of gaining momentum. We start it small and locally, and then we kind of broaden it outward as a great comment thread or a great set of engagements are happening within that ad. That is a really cool, so, so thinking through that, when you start taking that into the brand you know, development world and you start thinking about companies and the way they engage and, and the constant uh, kind of reminder that, hey, you have to be genuine, you have to be connected to your customers, you have to under, it's, it's really interesting. So, so can you take you know, that description of your experience at Reddit and move it to the commercial world and how that informs your understanding of the way companies develop their brands within the social networks? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there, there is this tendency for us in social media, and I, I think we've been trained this way by interacting in these very personalized feeds, which again, like, you know, it's super useful to me personally to have a Facebook feed that is totally customized to me, that is, you know, is constantly looking for ways to optimize itself, to create, to bubble up content that's going to be interesting for me 
as an individual. But I think when we look at how the internet forms opinions and how it decides on which brands are cool or which memes are we going to use this month, those don't happen within these super personalized, customized feeds. They happen in places where people have shared experiences. So I, I use, I, I talk about memes a lot in, in my writing and in, in conferences, uh, not so much in the sense of like, hey, like brands should be making memes and make, <laughs> you know, the Drake meme out of your brand CEO and blah, blah, blah. You know, like yeah. there's a way to step back from that and to say, so the word meme was actually coined in the world of evolutionary biology by a guy named Richard Dawkins. Uh, and it was initially meant to kind of parallel the word gene. So a gene being a basic unit of DNA, a, a gene is a replicator, so it makes copies of itself. Richard Dawkins kind of turns this question on himself in the book and kind of asks, you know, what, what's different about human evolution? Like what, what's going on here that's so different about us? And he talks about the meme as a unit of idea. And I think when you look at memes in that light and you kind of say, okay, if, if memes really are just ideas that are being shared back and forth between people, then as brands, everything that we post and everything we create is in a sense a meme. It's just that as brands, most of the memes that we make are not successful propagators. They don't tend to spread well. And I think when we can start to kind of look at these uh, more tastemaker communities like Reddit. Reddit is a great example because it's, you know, there's, there's such a great breadth of content that's represented within the platform. But I think looking as brands to these places that are communal, where people are forming opinions uh, rather than kind of reinforcing and representing their opinions, which is, I think, what we do more often in uh, like traditional social media space, like these, these kind of underlying sets of conversations that happen within community, I think have so much more to teach us as brands about how to build ourselves and what we need to do to, uh, to resonate with, with an audience that hopefully then spreads our message and evangelizes us, which was the initial kind of promise right. of Facebook. Uh, well, talking about Facebook, so do you recommend that your clients also look at Facebook or figure out a way to get into Facebook groups that are associated with their topic? A very transparent way, of course, but I just kind of wonder if that same kind of conversation is percolating in Facebook groups. I think I think Facebook is going after these kind of uh, interest-based conversations in a way that they recognize how powerful they are. I mean, I think you looked at you know Reddit five, ten years ago, and it was in such a in in terms of like monthly active users, the attitudes on Reddit were swaying the internet at such a disproportionate rate as compared to what was happening within Facebook. I, I'm a little bit skeptical of the group's product uh, because I think Facebook, or Facebook has so kind of entrenched itself in this customized, personalized to you social feed. I think when you, when you really want to build online community, what you need to do is facilitate shared experiences and shared conversations so that it's not so much about what I, as an individual, I'm going to find interesting and compelling, but rather here is what the group has decided to uplift as valuable and interesting. So, you know, maybe there's a way in the future that they kind of separate out your personal social feed from a true kind of community level view. I just don't see the product going there. I mean, that said, like, I think there are, you know, and we used to go through this at, at Catch'em all the time, the, the social listening exercises of 
hearing what people are saying across social media platforms is important. I think the context that we use to interpret those conversations and trying to understand if someone says something on Facebook and someone says something on Reddit and someone says something on Instagram, that the context that of that social network inherently informs what, how we ought to interpret what they're saying. So let's peel that back just a little. And I know you're hinting at the fact that one is anonymous and one is the other ones are not. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, like, what are the trends you're seeing? Do you have a certain sort of psychology you peg to Instagram and you automatically have a filter that you view all Instagram conversations through? How, how do you guide your clients in looking at the different platforms with different views? So the, I, I, I kind of break social networks down um, in terms of not so much the, the network itself, but rather the structure of the network. So when you look at a platform like Facebook, you have mutual kind of relationship uh, adding friends, right? So there's, there's a, a curation that's happening of here's my in-group, and the people outside of my group are not going to see my content. So there's a little bit of kind of realism to the participation that I have in that space. When I, when I say something on Facebook, I know that there's a one-to-one correlation between me as an offline person and what people will kind of attribute this thing that I've said to. I think when you go to an, a platform like Instagram, so you know, if you call that kind of your managed self, like this is, these are the relationships that we build with the people that we know offline and who know us offline and we are identified clearly as our offline selves. So that being a managed self, I think when you go to a platform like Instagram, you know, you often have the same friend connections that you did on Facebook, but for most of us, there is this default openness to our presence there. So not only are we reaching the people who, uh, you know, we've, we've followed. And I think that that verbiage is even kind of weird. I think it's like, that we follow each other in these spaces, we don't add each other as friends, um, that because we know that we're discoverable by this broader world of people that we don't know through hashtags, through our location, through tagging, I think we put on a little bit more idealized version of ourselves in those spaces where we have this potential to reach far outside of just our own friend group. And then when you go down to a platform like Reddit, you have two totally different kind of uh, pieces of the structure there. So no longer are you identifiable as your offline self. You are anonymous or pseudonymous, whichever, whichever you want to call it. Um, so you have this username that you make up that follows you around through your participation in the site. And secondly, you're not organized around these kind of follows or these friend connections. You're organized around communities that don't care so much about you as an individual and are more more interested in what what do you democratically kind of offer as your feedback to this community's content and the community is going to try to take that into account for all of the users that participate there so not only you know are you organized within a community but the content that bubbles up there it doesn't matter if i'm in like california or new york or australia if i go to a reddit community on any given day i see the same content as everybody else and so it facilitates this kind of shared experience that allows people to be a little bit more expressive, uh, to explore new ideas that they're not really willing to wear as a badge within these other social networks. And you, you end up seeing a really broad kind of flourishing of the types of conversations and the types of interactions that people have in those spaces. So like in broad strokes, I think you're, 
when you're in a platform like Facebook, you know, what you're doing is representing an idea or a part of yourself to your friend group. When you're on Instagram, you're kind of creating this, you're manifesting an ideal version of yourself. And then when you go to a platform like Reddit, you're, you're in a little bit less filtered a mode. You're, you're more expressive, you're more candid, you're able to explore these kind of different places that you probably wouldn't if you were in a platform like Instagram or Facebook. So the nature of engagement, if you're a brand, radically changes in those three scenarios, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's fascinating because, you know, the nature of Facebook is that self-reinforcing of that interaction within your core small group. And and we've seen this play out on the national scale. You have, you know, you have um, when people talk about being able to manipulate uh, communities through through Facebook, what they're talking about is groups that are consciously accepting a limiting down of the worldview. But what you're saying is that if you pull back and you try to, you know, and you enter into a community like Reddit, because you're constantly negotiating between your opinions and the consensus opinions of the entire group, you're you're brought into a different space. Whereas Instagram is really about, you know, demonstrating the idealized version of yourself. So, you know, from a company's perspective, right? It's, you know, in one scenario, you're trying to figure out how you can insert yourself into someone's self-image. In the next scenario, you're trying to insert yourself in the dialogue about what is the idealized version of life. (laughs) And in the other one, you're trying to engage a community at some level where you demonstrate genuineness and you demonstrate kind of, um, you know, social connection and things of that nature. Those are three very different forms of engagement. Yeah, I think that's, that's super well said. And I, you know, as a, as a company looking to places where people are forming opinions to me, like that, that is at the end of the day, what we are all doing as marketers is we're trying to affect people's opinions about us. You know, whether that's like increasing our like brand perception or our brand affinity or, or growing our awareness or, getting people to think about our product in a way that they hadn't previously. And I think when you look at platforms like Instagram or like Facebook, more often than not, people are interested in representing their beliefs. And when you get down to a more candid, anonymous experience like Reddit, these are the, com- these are the places where people are having uh, the echo chamber breaking conversations. This is where they're talking deeply about politics and religion and and all of the things that you're not allowed to talk about in other social networks. As brands, I see that and I think, oh, this is where people are engaged at the level of their actual belief. They're not just representing what they think as a kind of social cue to their friends. I think that's that's space that it's scary for us as brands because it's a little bit less controlled than spaces like Facebook and Instagram. But you know, if, if we want to change perception about us, we have to go to a place where people are willing to change their perceptions. So I've got a follow on question about that. And it's related to, you know, this podcast is really focused on um, wins, also the process and the tactics that you had to get you there. So I'm really interested in how you create a process around this. So you've got a brand, I'm assuming you help them develop a brand voice or they already have one. And then do you pivot that brand voice 
for each platform? Do you do organic and paid? Do you do it together? Just sort of kind of curious from the theoretical into the little bit more practical, how do you advise people to implement kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, it, it's a it's a tough conversation, and every every brand has a different level of kind of comfort in in flexing their brand voice a little bit. I think, you know, we we've been so trained by traditional brand thinkers to like want to be so consistent about how we talk about ourselves and what our brand voice is and what are our key messages for this campaign and what do we have to get across that we kind of we've lost sight a lot of times that human beings who are consistent individual human beings change their voice through these different social platforms and in a way that is consistently them, but that changes depending on the context. So that was very much part of the the recommendation and, and the the process of working with, with brands as they came onto the Reddit platform. To the question about paid and organic, you know, I think when you you can find a small handful of brands who have found a way to instill themselves in Reddit communities in a way that, you know, they, they have just become fellow kind of community members. And I think that is something totally uh, to aspire to. It's probably not something that every brand is going to be willing to kind of invest the time and resources into doing. So most of, most of the work that I did with brands within Reddit was trying to find a way to bring that that authenticity and that depth of engagement through the ads platform. And, you know, like other social networks, Reddit is looking for ways to kind of keep that product looking and feeling like an organic post. Every every kind of Reddit ad has the potential to function just like an organic post while being kind of recognizable as, you know, this is advertiser sponsored content. Um, but when we were able to speak really uh, relevantly to the communities that we were reaching, you know, people treated it as if it was an organic post. I, you know, the, the Hulu example is, is one that, you know, the, some of the stories that were generated from that campaign, like broke the Reddit comment length and had to be kind of pasted across multiple generations of, of a Reddit comment tree, which, you know, you just don't see that level of, of kind of depth and creativity and expressiveness in engagement with with kind of social campaigns on other platforms. How do you prepare a company for that? So, you know, most most companies and myself included, frankly, are constantly thinking about, oh, when this goes off the rail, how will I deal with it? And and that sort of thing. <laughs> how do you prepare I mean, do you do limit testing? Do you, you know, do you take it back to what is your voice and what is your vision or what are your core values? Or or do you go the other direction and say, okay, you're saying this out there. What if it went to this degree? How would you, you know, how would you react and what do you do? I think step one from my own personal experience is test your server. Because if it gets too popular, <laughs> you might have trouble keeping your website up. Because <laughs> one of my sites tanked because it became first page dig back when dig was the Reddit. Oh, so step Reddit. one, make sure your server is stable. Anyway. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is, uh, I mean, that's the best problem you can have, right? Right. It's a high quality problem. <laughs> um. That's really funny. Yeah, the the, the process of, of kind of preparing a brand for that, you know, it, part of the reason that I actually stepped out of Reddit um, was that I, I really wanted to kind of focus on working with brands in organic space. It was it was a place that wasn't a huge priority, obviously, for Reddit, the company. There, you know, it's in terms of organic on social. I think there's a lot of ways that that every kind of social channel is kind of trying to funnel advertisers into that kind of tight paid space. But I do think that it is 
a very healthy part of getting to know the Reddit communities is, is participating organically insofar as you can add value to those communities. So, uh, you know, a big part of, of coaching brands on how do you participate in this space? How do you, how do you come correct to Reddit revolves around just the simple premise of, of adding value. So, you know, if, if we can find a way to add value genuinely to these communities and often the communities tell us pretty cleanly, you know, through their own conversations, what types of things will add value to them if we're willing to listen, you know, when we do, when we come as a brand and we, and we have that lens of like, okay, here's what people are doing in this space. Here's the value that they're driving organically from their participation here. What's something that we could do that would enhance that experience you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of, of going wrong that we didn't have to do a ton of, uh, you know, brand voice policing, although that is something that that we did a lot of was was taking existing copy and, and kind of adapting it into a voice that, you know, might feel a little bit more relevant to the Reddit community that mentioned communities that, you know, the brand ought to be aware of, uh, of using the lingo that exists within these communities. You know, I think the one of the big differences in kind of mindset shift that has to happen when you go from traditional social advertising to community level advertising is that you have to recognize that these are cultures, you know, these are, they function like a culture does. Um, They have their own norms. They often have their own language and their own verbiage for how they refer to different things that are relevant to them. And so step one, you know, of, of really, I think any brand social strategy ought to be listening and it's just a different level of listening that has to happen for a brand to really find connection points with, with Reddit communities. Okay, so I have a somewhat unrelated question because we haven't talked about video and YouTube yet. And you have this post that talks about how brands <laughs> should ignore video, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> um, okay. It's a little, you know, it ignore. is old. I'll give you that. It's old. <laughs> just kind of want to get your most recent take on what you're thinking about video and YouTube right now. Yeah, no. So I, first of all. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> did, not, did not say ignore video. I, like the point of that was not ignore video. The, the point is that, you know, and this came more from working in BBDO where it's like every campaign gets, you know, first communicated through like a six minute hero spot. And it's like, Guys, that is going to get 300 views on YouTube and fade into oblivion and nobody will watch it ever again. Like the no, six minute video just doesn't have a place in social unless you have a really, really deeply compelling story to tell. And I think as brands, we just, we don't have that self-critical lens often that's going to, that takes us to, all right, person in the world who doesn't care about our brand, who doesn't know our brand strategy, what are they going to pay attention to? We had we had chatted previously about uh, some of the the Ziploc work that that uh, my team at, at BBDO had done, um, and we we ran a really interesting test with some of the the kind of life hack and recipe oriented content um, that that we made for those channels. So after we had some initial success of we're, we're making very simple image with text on it that's going to tell you how to use a Ziploc in a new and interesting way. Eventually the brand wanted to start investing a little bit more in that content. And of course the obvious route to take is, well, let's make videos of it. And I think, so we, we ran a test. We found that 
the images with text on them drove significantly more organic reach and uh, social action. So like, comment, share within Facebook space. Yet, Facebook continued to tell us with a straight face that video was the most engaging format for Mm -hmm. this type of content. And so I had to like really dig into analytics here and try to figure out like, how can they, how can they possibly come and tell me that when I'm looking at the social actions and I don't see, of course they're counting the two second autoplay in feed as a video view, which counts as an engagement. So Mm. not even a click on the post, somebody's just like scrolling through the thing plays. And now all of a sudden that counts as an engagement the same way that someone sharing the post counts as an engagement. Don't just do video content. Don't assume that video is always the best way to communicate an idea. Because so, you know, if we step out to memes as units of ideas, then really when we're talking about like internet memes in the colloquial sense, we're not talking about like this, you know, if we look at the Drake meme, like the same idea isn't present in every Drake meme. The idea changes constantly. Really what we're talking about is the format. When you can kind of step back and say like, what is, the, what is the core idea that I'm trying to share here? And if it adds value to people's experiences in these feeds, then when it reaches them and when they extract that idea, then we should see great kind of social uh, actions against that post. And if I house my content in exclusively video, then in a competitive social feed, you know, someone's scrolling through their stuff, they have to click play on that video or they have to click sound on that video. And if they're in a public space, they have to put their headphones in and then hopefully they maximize the screen. So they actually pay attention to us. Mm. And then even when all of that happens, it's still a passive format. I'm still waiting, sitting, hoping that I keep attention for this, you know, the one and a half seconds that we get per Facebook post as advertisers. And I think so many brands would benefit from looking at meme culture, not in terms of, oh, well, how could we take this idea and insert it into the Drake meme template, but rather look at what organically gets popular. And often it's the most simple and efficient way to communicate an idea, which sometimes is a GIF. Sometimes it's an image with text on it. Sometimes it's just text. Like these are all formats that we should be experimenting with in social if part of our goal is earned reach. You know, if if all we care about is paying for video views, then fair enough, but that's a, that's a boring strategy to me. Yeah, I think absolutely. there's also a bit of figuring out whether or not the, the driving problem or question requires video, right? Because we're talking yeah. about one of your Ziploc campaigns was the one that I totally saw on Pinterest because I use it for meal planning and it was <laughs> totally freezing hamburger and using chopsticks to divide. <laughs> Brilliant. Didn't need much text, frankly, the chopsticks, the bag with the hamburger. It was, that was it. And I shared it. I totally did. Anyway, but that didn't require video. I don't need a video to figure that out. Well, so that's one of the ones that we tested with. We did, we did three types of content. We did one that was, it was like a a link to a website. Spoiler, that didn't work super well. Mm. Uh, The image with text on it. And then like, it was a short form video. It was, you know, 15, 30 second video something that like at the time was way too short to be an ad. Uh, but the simple efficiency of an image with a little bit of text on it did the job better. All right. So we've been spending a lot of time chit-chatting about other stuff, but I'm really curious about your book. 
So considering I can't find much about it online quite yet, because it's not quite published, tell me a little bit more about what people would get by picking up your book and reading your book. What's, what's Oh boy, the, it's plug time. What's the Start, plug? I do yeah. want to hear the plug. I want to know if I need to get a copy. <laughs> Start with the title, please. <laughs> so Let's the, get uh, the simple things. The, the title is The Hidden Psychology of Social Networks. And it's a, it's a look from the, from the lenses of evolutionary biology, psychology, and anthropology into social networks, like why they've become so ubiquitous in our culture, why they're so compelling to us, what we're doing in those spaces. And, you know, I've, I've kind of let on that as a marketer in, who's kind of specializes in building brands in social, like my mantra is always, how do we add value for people in these spaces? How do we take our advertising dollars and use it to create content that's relevant to people that they're going to care about, that, that stands out in their feed? It's one of those things that sounds really simple, but I think in order to genuinely add value in a way that meets people in the real world and doesn't just sound good in a conference room, we have to understand why people are in those places in the first place. And if someone's there to manifest an ideal version of themselves, or they're there to spark conversations with the friends that they know offline, or they're in anonymous space and they're exploring new interests, what adds value for them shifts significantly through those spaces. So this is an exploration of how do we how do we navigate this broad set of social networks that are available to us? There's this, I think, a huge problem for us in, in marketing right now and that there's a million places that we can reach people with a message. Why should we reach them where? Um, so this is a, a model that's trying to put some, some rigor and some insight into uh, a, a model that's also scalable and allows people to, it allows marketers to kind of uh, navigate that social space thoughtfully. Scalable was on my mind as you were talking. So do you, it sounds like you spend quite a bit of time with your clients and you recommend people do listening, but you listen Ooh. about what, what your customers are saying and how they're acting in the different communities. So the, the next bit is, do you have a set of tools you recommend people use for this? Do you have a process you think people should do? Are there networks you tell people to just ignore um, because of how the network functions? Even as just a user, kind of going in and, and doing the kind of search for your brand term is, is something that I feel like it's so worthwhile as long as the way that we relate to that discovery is not purely reactionary, which I think most social listening kind of processes have been this kind of, okay, well, people are saying this, so we've got to overcorrect on that. Um, and I think, again, you know, to, to kind of return to this model of like find, finding why people are in these spaces in the first place, if we understand the, the lens that they're viewing themselves and their posts and what they're saying through, you know, the meaning may shift significantly. You know, I think when someone is asking a question on Reddit about, you know, how do I, which of these brands of whatever camping tent is the best for my need? They're genuinely looking for information from people who are experts in that space. And that's a really interesting place to, to look for, okay, how are people talking about my product? How do the tastemakers and experts in the world kind of in this really candid space talk about me? You know, I think it's, it's super different when somebody's on Twitter and they're shouting a complaint at you or they're posting on Instagram, uh, you know, a glamour shot of themselves in your tent. Like those are, those are totally different ways of communicating very different messages to you. So again, you know, it's, 
it's a to me that what's missing from most of those social listening tools is context. You know, you get those nice like kind of graph timelines of like here's your mentions over time, and then go ahead and like drill into like what were, what was the spike in mentions on this day. And sometimes that's that's interesting and valuable, but I think you know there there's a set of qualitative insights that can be derived from just like doing that ground level search, uh, particularly within non-identity based social networks. So Reddit obviously being one of them, but I think there's, you know, campers and and like outdoor enthusiasts have a, a million kind of online forums that function almost as subreddits. Understanding what people are saying in those spaces to me is a much more valuable lens because it doesn't have this cloudiness of people trying to kind of represent themselves in social media to their friends, which I think clouds a lot of the insights that we can cleanly draw from from social listening. I think that's really smart. I think the other thing that you put your finger on is, you know, we we have a sea change in marketing period from billboard to dialogue. And the thing about dialogue is it's an interaction and you have to be willing to change as well. And I think that that's what a lot of brands are struggling with is as they go out and engage the communities, for instance, generating user generated content, and that comes back in, they don't have any internal mechanism to incorporate that into their existence, into their DNA, so that they can then reflect it back out to the community. And so what happens is kind of the artificial, everybody gets excited because they can pile in and be part of that, but then nothing happens afterwards. And that really is a violation of the social contract. And then they walk away with the exact opposite of what you wanted, which is they end up frustrated and and turned off. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think part of the solving that is that we just, as a, as marketing organizations, we need to be more brave about bubbling up the insights that we aren't super positive. I, I found that in agency roles and with, within in-house roles, there's kind of a, you know, we want to show up to the right graphs. We want to show yeah. all of the, the improvements and the wonderful things that we've done um, and so we're afraid to kind of have those like tough conversations with the, the kind of broader business organization. But, you know, I also, I, you know, I, I look at brands like, like when Wendy's was in its prime on Twitter, you know, they were a brand that they weren't just willing to put out content that was relevant to people and that, you know, spoke to this like deep meme culture in a way that was like eventually kind of became embraced by that culture. When people criticized them, they, they didn't just kind of, respond with like, we're so sorry to hear that. Uh, please call us at 1-800, blah, blah, blah. And we'll get you to a customer service representative. It was like, no, they were willing to go out and kind of jab back at people. Like they, they were willing to say like, hey, this is our brand perspective. And if, if you're going to be a jerk to us on Twitter, we're going we're gonna to do a funny joke on you. Like we're going we're gonna to poke back on you a little bit. And I think so many brands would benefit from that perspective, having a little bit more of that perspective of, you know, being able to separate out genuine uh, negative feedback or a negative experience with a brand and dealing with that appropriately from, you know, people just being jerks on Twitter and bullying you on, on social media, because that happens all the time. Like people bully brands on social media all the time. And so unless you're willing to kind of stand up for your brand perspective and say like, no, 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 we, we've thought about this. We, we believe this. Uh, it's easy for you to kind of get into that mode of like, you know, everything that we say and do in social media is pure surface and we are willing to like 
scrap it at the at the faintest scent of of negative reaction. Well, Joe, this has been awesome. I think we're just about out of time. So I want to get in our last couple standard questions. So the first one, which is the most important one, actually, well, they're both really important. The first one is what's the one win or resource or tactic, tactical thing that you'd want everyone listening to walk away with? I think being willing to engage in genuine dialogue uh, with, with people. And I think, you know, Jim touched on this just now, but I think that is one of those art forms that is just so uncommon in brand social media and that's so craved uh, by people uh, being willing to like step outside of the response matrix and, and have genuine conversation with people and, you know, hire a team that's, that you're like confident can do that. Well, like, I think that is, that would go, that goes so far for the, the organizations that do that in social and build their brand through social right now. So, you know, in broad strokes, I think that's, that's probably the one thing that I think, you know, just about every brand could benefit from massively. Cool. And the last part is how can people learn more about you? Wow. You can follow me at Joe Federer on Twitter. Uh, you can visit my, my website, which is www.aninternetreference.com. Uh, that was funnier in writing than it is. Can, on can you repeat that last one though? What, what is this website? What is this address? It's an internet reference. Okay. Internet reference.com. Got it. Oh, an internet reference. So yeah. I was going to make an internet reference, but then I was like, let's take this a step more meta. <laughs> Just call it an internet reference. <laughs> and I have to admit that I'm old enough. I didn't get it right away. So <laughs> my kids uh, are constantly, constantly. And make sure everybody remembers your book. What's your book? It's the uh, Hidden Psychology of Social Networks. And it should come out around September. Exciting. This was Let's great. See. This has been awesome, Joe. Yeah. What, how much fun has this been? <laughs> it's been such a great conversation. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our podcast and what we are up to, go to digitalmarketingvictories.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you like what you hear, spread the word. Rate us, comment, and share. We're always looking for new topics, ideas, and guests. So if you have suggestions, please go to our website or email us at questions at digitalmarketingvictories.com. And thanks for listening.